We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's turn to Matthew 21, please, in your Bibles. Take up your copy of the Scriptures and look at Matthew 21. We've been in this territory before. Uh, Having a closed canon, you know, there's nothing new. Uh, It's all been there all along, so we're not going to be discovering some new thing, but uh, we have studied about the fig tree before and different ways in which the Scripture uses the fig tree. Here, we're going to see the fruitless fig tree once again, and we're going to glean several lessons from it, uh, God willing. Um, We'll see just how far we get tonight. I've got quite a bit of material, which is too much, I think, for the 25 or 30 minutes that we have here, but... You recall in 21 that uh, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He looked around. He saw the sorry state of things in the city and in the temple and went back to Bethany for the evening for for resting and then uh, returned in the morning. And he's going to use a fig tree that he encounters on his way into the city in subsequent mornings as a way to teach the disciples about what he and they have just experienced in what they saw in the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me mention to you a a kind of a pesky little matter that comes up when we read this passage, and I'll read Matthew's account of it, and then I'll read Mark's account of it, and you'll see, I think, what, what I mean here. In Matthew 21, we start in verse 18. It's just a handful of verses here, five verses. Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry and seeing uh, a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Now remember, this is in Matthew's account, in order of the account, it's after Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, verse 20, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? You're left with the impression that Jesus spoke and the tree dried up from the roots immediately in just inst- in an instant. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now in the Gospel of Mark, here's how it reads. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked all around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day, so that would be Monday, When he had come out from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And then in Mark, this is Mark 11 now, in verses 15 to 18, Then Jesus cleaned out the temple 
He taught that the temple was to be a house of prayer and not a den of thieves, and uh, the scribes and the priests were highly upset. Okay, so you get the picture already. So he goes in, he sees Jerusalem, he leaves, he comes back Monday, sees the fig tree, curses it, goes in, cleanses the temple. And then it says, when evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, Tuesday, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So it's not immediate, but it was 24 hours later. Are you okay? Okay, all right. Well, you don't scare us by, by doing this and <laughs> looking like you're having a problem. It was just a bug, which causes great consternation among some of our ladies, maybe, we could say. <laughs> all right, so... Um, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these, uh, those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Okay, so did the Lord curse the fig tree and it instantly dried up, or did the Lord curse the fig tree on Monday and then they found it had dried up by Tuesday? The latter is actually the order of events. Let me address this. Problem number one is that order of events. In Matthew, it appears that Jesus cleans out the temple on day one, the same day as the triumphal entry, and then on day two, the fig tree is cursed with instantaneous effect. But in Mark, the triumphal entry is day one, the fig tree is observed early on day two, and then the temple's cleansed. And then day three, they finally see the fig tree withered. So the answer is this. Matthew is a shorter account, just the five verses, and it does what we call telescoping the events that occurred. So they are related in a more compressed fashion without a slavish regard for chronology. Okay, would you allow a human author license to do that? Matthew doesn't say that the events occurred in this precise order. He just said these events occurred. Cleansing of the temple occurred, the fig tree thing occurred, and so on. Okay, I think you must give him a little license to be able to do that. He's not saying the chronology was this way, and if I'm wrong, then the Bible is wrong. No, he's not saying that. Now, Mark, however, is saying, here's what the chronology was. So he gives the details. Um, So rather than charging Matthew with an error, it's simply arranged differently with a different focus. In Matthew, we do not have a specific timeline given. Mark clarifies the chronology of what happened. And so sometimes when people write, chronology is important to what they're writing. Other times when they write, the chronology is not important to what they're writing. So uh, that gives us pause to before we criticize either one or both of these accounts. Now, to the unbelieving mind, this is a contradiction and could be used as, as an excuse for unbelief, but there are far more significant reasons than somebody would choose to not believe in the veracity of the Bible, uh, namely if they're captured by sin They repudiate God's judgment for their own sin or they have a comfort level with the things of the world and they don't want to have the things of God in their hearts near to them. 
For those of us who are believers here today, we need to remember that our faith is not determined or undermined by believers. We expect, I'm sorry, by unbelievers. We expect unbelievers to cast stones at the word. Uh, scholars who are not saved uh, would not, should not shake our faith in the least because somebody that does not believe God's word hardly can teach us who do believe it. Problem number two uh, is this, cursing a fig tree which is out of season seems to be strange. Is it okay to curse a fig tree that's out of season for not producing figs? I mean, that's what Mark said, didn't it say that, or Matthew? Uh, Mark did. It says, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. What does that mean? Um, Some interpreters suggest that the fruit comes out immediately when the leaves come out. And so, therefore, if there are leaves, there must be fruit. But do you know any tree that operates that way? No, because... The leaves come out so they can gather energy from the sun and, and the oxygen and all that so that the tree has the wherewithal to be able to produce flowers and then fruit. Um, so I don't follow that. That's an easy kind of pat answer to the problem, but that's not a good answer to the problem. Um, you know, so if in their example, if it doesn't have, if it has leaves and it doesn't have fruit, they would say, well, it's, something's wrong with this tree. We know differently. I mean, many trees have leaves long before they have fruit and long after they have fruit. Other sources indicate that the season for fruit started in June. June? When is Passover? Is it in June? Is Easter in June? (laughs) Never in June, March or April. So we wouldn't expect that there would be now. Of course, the climate's different. I understand that. But uh, it's still a different time. it's got a cyclical, you know, business to it, and you wouldn't expect uh, fruit if fruit is to be expected in June. You're not going to see it in April. Um, so it had fully leafed out, but it was not yet the time for ripe figs. Wouldn't you like it if our trees fully leafed out by the end of March or early April? I know you would, because that would mean winter is way past and we're into spring and summer, but that's not how it works around here. Around there, maybe, yes, it's warmer there off the Mediterranean. So I'll give a more complete answer as we go here, but I want to frankly acknowledge these two challenges with this passage, okay? So you know we're not hiding them or just ignoring them. Focusing on the problems, however, must not distract us from the truth. The so-called problems are not the point of the passage. They can both be explained very satisfactorily. The point of the parable is the fruitlessness of the tree. You see, you get all like, oh, what about this and what about this? And by the time you leave the Bible study, you don't remember or haven't learned what the point is. The point is that you've got a fruitless fig tree that is an illustration of a spiritual truth. So don't go out of here thinking that the passage is all about these little errors that you think are there in the Bible. They're not there, of course, but the juxtaposition, that is the side-by-side placing of the fig tree with the cleansing of a dirty temple and the hard-hearted religious leadership is unmistakable. That putting those two things next to each other, you can't miss it, at least to this reader, me. The fig tree is very much like the nation of Israel and its capital city, Jerusalem. How? Fruitless. 
The axe is laid to the root of the trees, those unrepentant trees, and soon they will be chopped down and cast into the fire. In the Old Testament, the fig tree comes up several times, and that's the foundation or background that anybody would know about when the Lord comes up to a fig tree. Any Bible student would say, hmm, Israel is likened to a fig tree in the Old Testament. The Lord is coming to this fig tree, and he's cursing it. This doesn't seem good, <laughs> right? You know, we think it's like, it's like we don't have that connection because we don't know our Old Testament well enough. So, you know, we think he's coming up to a, an oak tree. You know, why is he cursing that tree? Well, if the Bible made Israel like an oak tree in the Old Testament, and people would unmistakably recognize, oh, <laughs> ouch. But it is that case with the fig tree. So sometimes the fig tree is uh, describing a peaceful and prosperous time in Israel as when each man would sit under his vine and under his fig tree and he would be at peace. Remember those passages in the Old Testament? Oh, I can't wait for the day. Can you imagine somebody going to Ukraine right now and say there's coming a day when each man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree and he will not be accosted by the Russians or by anyone else? Think of how they would long for those days. Uh, this happened during the reign of Solomon and other times in Israelite history, not, not all the time. Sometimes the ripe, falling figs from a fig tree are a picture of judgment. Um, in fact, it seems to me I was just, where was I reading this? Maybe somewhere else here. Um, I've read so many things today, I forgot where I read it. But anyway, think of... Think of um, Taking a fig tree that's got ripe figs on it and shaking one of the branches, what happens? They fall down. So sometimes that's a picture of judgment. That is, uh, you know, Babylon, say, I'm just making this up, is going to come along and shake the branch of Israel and the figs are just going to drop right into their mouth, meaning they're going to just take their spoils and go on home and be happy. It's a picture of judgment. Um, Israel is likened to a grapevine sometimes, a vineyard, a, a fig tree, Hosea chapter 9, and its condition tells how well the nation is doing spiritually. You will find uh, figs that are ripe and good, and then you will find figs in the Old Testament that are rotten and bad, and they represent the idolatrous nation of Israel. So the, the lesson, I think, to me, from what I can tell from how it's positioned in the text here and that history of the fig tree as representing a nation of Israel, the lesson is threefold. Number one, a fruitless nation. Number two, divine judgment. And number three, the power of believing prayer. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 13, don't turn there, uh, but uh, just listen as I read in Luke 13. I'll find it here in a moment. In chapter 13 and verses 6 through 9, it says this. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. A great picture of God's mercy and long-suffering. One more year, 
just one more year, see if it will bear fruit. Maybe God has given you one more year to bear fruit. Um, they must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Mark 3, 8, John, uh, Luke 3.8, remember John the Baptist? You know, you brood of vipers. You need to bear fruits worthy of repentance, uh, likened to a fig tree. The nation is likened to them, and, and the Lord is saying, look, it's about time for this tree to be chopped down and cast into the fire, turn it into firewood, um, and so what we have here is a fig tree that the Lord has come up to, not in Luke 13, it's a different context now, but he's come up to this fig tree, sees it's fully leafed out, but there's no fruits on it. It may look like it should have fruit, and thus, even though it's not the season yet, it becomes a perfect illustration of a fruitless nation. That's what's going on here. Fig trees only bear fruit once a season, from what I understand, just like most trees. When should the nation of Israel be bearing fruit? Once a year? All year round. The nation of Israel should be bearing fruit. The fruit of praise, the fruit of service to God, the fruit of good works, all the time. Constantly about those good works for God. They should always be in season to bear spiritual fruit. Instead, they persecuted the prophets and were about to kill the premier prophet of all, the Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah, while they should have been offering him praise, all of them as he came into the city. So Jesus saying here talks about a fruitless nation. Secondly, his saying symbolizes or foreshadows a pronouncement of judgment on Jerusalem. He was coming to a city which, like a leafy tree, may have had a form of godliness, but it had no fruit. The axe was near to chopping it down to the roots because it was not bearing fruits in keeping with repentance. And in fact, many of the, the inhabitants would contempt, condemn Jesus to death in just a few days after these words were spoken. In the same way, the life of any person today may look good from a distance, but there may be no real fruit. And inside of its trunk is all kinds of rottenness. In the same way, a church may appear. You know, you have a reputation that you're alive, but what? Remember that in Revelation? But you're dead. You're dead. So repent, the Lord said in Revelation to that church. A church may appear to be wonderful on the outside, but if, if it's full of dead men's bones on the inside, it's like those whitewashed sepulchers that the Lord talked about in Luke, uh, Matthew 23. And then... Thirdly, the third lesson, you have fruitless, a fruitless nation, you have divine judgment, and you have powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. The text also gives us this lesson in uh, the Lord said, uh, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only would you be able to wither this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, that would be done. Uh, any mountains in your life that you're praying about? Uh, if you, know if, if you know it's the will of God for this mountain to be removed and thrown into the sea, you could pray that that would happen and it would be done. Now, believing prayer does not ask God for things that are sensationalistic or mere personal preferences. It asks God for things that are godly and would honor the Lord. And so when you pray in an honoring way to God, in a faithful way, you're not going to pray for dumb stuff. 
We're going to pray for things that honor God and that he is, he is pleased to accomplish. So I'm going to close with this word of application tonight because it's a good spot for us to stop. Are you like a fruitful or a fruitless fig tree? Are you like a fruitful or a fruitless fig tree? If you're fruitless, you're facing judgment. No Christian, let me say it this way, every Christian bears some fruit. may not be much, but it's some. Anyone who bears truly zero fruit is not a real Christian. Take it to the bank. Okay, Every Christian has some fruit. No fruit means not a Christian believer. Are you a fruitless fig tree facing judgment, or are you a fruitful fig tree? Are you right with God and can therefore offer believing pure prayer to Him, even if you're asking something very difficult? Let me just ask you to do this. Stop right now in the couple minutes we have remaining. And you have something on your mind that's one of those mountains. I know, I, I know some of you have that already. You know, we prayed for one of them tonight. Evaluate yourself. And then let's pray just quietly for a moment about whatever that mountain moving thing is that you need to do. And ask God to do the earth moving. I'm speaking, of course, metaphorically. Ask about whatever's heavy on your mind. Let him take care of the rest. But as you do that, pray, Lord, something like this. Lord, I pray and ask, would you help me to know if I'm being fruitful like you want me to be, if I'm being righteous like you want me to be, there's anything I need to confess and repent of, true repentance, true confession. And in that mindset, in that manner, ask God about whatever this thing is that's heavy on your mind. Let's just do that just now. And after a moment passes, then I'll close us in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, my prayer tonight is that each one who's come under the sound of these words, would find themselves presently or very soon a fruitful vine, a fruitful fig tree in their spiritual life that is uh, giving evidence through faith, repentance, confession, good works, good speech, that they have been transformed by the gospel of Christ, that they truly are a believer in that. And then, Lord, for those difficulties that we have stored up in our hearts, whether it's a, a situation, whether it's a, a person, uh, whether it's a spiritual need or something, that, Lord, you would be pleased to move that mountain in answer to believing prayer. Lord, please, delight your people with an answer in each case that they may give thanks. And may they indeed give thanks when the answer comes for which they have petitioned thee. We ask these favors tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.